0: You can know a person by the company he keeps. That's how the old proverb goes. In essence, people will judge your character and actions on the people with whom you associate with as much as your actions themselves. Now when I was growing up I heard this a few times from my parents and normally it was to try to keep me from hanging out with a certain kid or classmate. Now at the time I didn't really understand the premise but as I got older My mom once explained to me what the intent was, what they were trying to do. She told me that the people we surround ourselves with are oftentimes the way that that other people might view us. So if one of my friends was a troublemaker, by chance, and by association, other people might view me as a troublemaker as well. Or if my friend made poor decisions, then it was likely to influence my judgment as well. Listen, I didn't get it. Actually, there was one situation that I, I was pretty mad about it. She told me I wasn't allowed to ride around with a certain guy who he was a little bit older than me. She said, look, I don't think he's a very good person to let influence your life and I don't want you associated with him. I really couldn't understand this and, and I even got caught riding with him once and got in some pretty major trouble. Well, a few months later, this guy ended up in a pretty major scandal. I mean, we're not talking about something small. This involved the police and restraining orders and the justice system. It was big. And here I was realizing that my mom was right all along. If I'd continued to associate with this guy, I might have possibly been right in the middle of this whole controversy. I might have even made the same mistakes. Whether we like it or not, People will oftentimes gauge us on the company that we keep. That's how things roll in our world. Like if you're hanging out with people who regularly get fall over drunk, then people might start thinking you're drinking in excess as well. If you're someone running around with the bullies who mistreat other students and call them names, then even if you're not the one saying the words, you might get the same label as well if you're surrounding yourself with people who take a certain political stance, then people might begin to associate that same stance with you. Look, I'm not suggesting that these assumptions or judgments, that these are truth. I'm also not telling you that you can't be friends with people who make bad choices. Now, hear me say, if these people are leading you down an unhealthy path, I wouldn't continue to let them speak into your decisions, but that is not the point of this. What I'm saying is that people in the world will often view who you are by those people with whom you spend much of your time. When we sometimes think of Jesus, we'll put on Him this idea that He was this holy man who who walked around with a group of priests or holy people. We get this image of Jesus and His disciples going around, speaking truth, healing the sick, performing miracles, and being just this amazing group. I mean, things like this picture right here, or, or this picture of Him and His disciples. This is when you can even see that the disciples, they've got halos over their heads. Or there's this one right here, where again, you see those halos right over the disciples. And just look at that guy on the left. He looks like an actual angel. See, this might be the image you conjure up of Jesus and the people he spent time with. These holy men who were chosen to be the hands and feet of God. But what is the reality The reality is that Jesus often spent time with mostly people of lowly stature. In this series, we want to understand and uncover the real image of Jesus. We want to get to know who Jesus really spent His time with and whom He came to associate with in His life. See, Jesus regularly spent His time with people who no one else would have given a second glance. They were rejects. I mean, many of His disciples, they were fishermen. Their entire days consisted of going out to the Sea of Galilee and catching fish. One of them, Matthew, he was actually a tax collector. I mean, this was someone who just about everyone hated. This was someone who took away their hard-earned money. I mean, these guys were not the men who were highly sought after by the religious leaders of the time, yet Jesus called them to His mission all the same. This would happen regularly. Jesus would spend his time reaching out to those people who others would reject. Have you ever felt rejected? Maybe you've been in some hard places in your life, places like prison or probation. Maybe you've had lots of criminal history and people regularly look at you a certain way. It could be how you look. You might dress a certain way or or not have the ability to wear the newest things, So people look down at you with judging glances. You could be the kid at school who finds it difficult to make friends or who people often tend to ignore. People might call you geek or loser. You might be the person who people call things like slut because of your, because of the fact that your true or assumed sexual history. Lots of us know what it feels like to be rejected. It hurts. We want to be strong and say, I don't care what other people think. But the reality is we do care. When we're rejected, we feel like less of a person. We let our identity be based upon what other people see in us and not in how God views who we are. The real Jesus had a different approach to his life. And we want to uncover who it was Jesus came to seek. Because as we learn about Jesus, we're going to talk about this idea that there are no rejects in the grace of Jesus. Now, Luke wrote a gospel or a story of Jesus' life. And in that book, he captures a story which I believe will help us paint a truer picture of who Jesus came to save. I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 7 with me so you can read along. We're going to be starting in verse 36 And I'm going to stop right here because I just love this image. Here's Jesus eating at the house of what must have been a prominent Pharisee. And in walks this woman of a pretty bad reputation. Some scholars will even say she was probably a prostitute. And here she comes to Jesus and she begins to wash his feet. I mean, this is the dirtiest part of his body, mind you. I mean, these guys were walking around regularly through dirt and sand, and their feet were probably filthy. Listen, this woman's pride was gone. She wasn't too proud to get down at the feet of Jesus, let her tears flow. And because she had no towel to use, her own, she used her own hair to clean his feet. I mean, when have you ever felt that broken and in need of a moment with God that you just slumped down and let your tears flow as you praise the God of creation? And here's the beauty of this part of the story. Jesus didn't stop her. This was an act of love to God, and Jesus knew it. So he let this woman wash his feet. And what makes this amazing is that it shows us that, and it shows me that I'm glad that Jesus is, un, is touchable even by sinners. I appreciate that so much. I can reach out and touch the Lord no matter how badly I feel. He's always within reach and He won't reject me. There are no rejects in the grace of Jesus. Now, the truth is, the Pharisee would not have let this happen. If this woman had tried to wash his feet, he would have rejected her because she was considered unclean. No respectable Jewish religious leader would allow someone of unclean status to touch them. But the story goes on. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Jesus is just pulled, he just pulled the Pharisee Simon into a teaching lesson. This idea that when a debt is waived, that the man who had more of a debt is far more likely to love the moneylender more. Why? Because he has more to lose, and as a result, has more to love when that loss is forgiven. He's making a comparison between an actual financial debt with the debt we all owe to God. I mean, this is sin. Because of sin and its price in our life, we owe God a debt which can never be repaid. Sin has created a gap between us and our Heavenly Father. Jesus is trying to point out that for those who have much to lose, His grace is the ultimate price. To the Pharisee, he probably thought his life was on the right track. And so as a result, he didn't look at Jesus and think, I need to show this man respect and love. I think we get a little like that ourselves sometimes. I when mean, we get in this mode where we think we're doing okay, and as a result, what happens? Well, we stop thinking we need the forgiveness or grace of Jesus. I and mean, when we go to church and follow the rules and give our money, and we start acting like we're running pretty well on our own. Listen, that was not this woman. She was coming from a place where she knew she needed Jesus. Have you been there? I mean, do you come to the feet of Jesus with guilt from a bad decision made over and over and over again? Do you come to the feet of Jesus with an emptiness that comes from moving from bed to bed of so many people, never finding fulfillment in any of those relationships? Do you come to the feet of Jesus with shame of an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography? You come to the feet of Jesus with a feeling of hopelessness, of all your mistakes and regrets that you feel like keep piling up on top of you. This is what Jesus was saying when he talked about debt. C.S. Lewis once put it this way. This is what he said. Prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. The proud, the avaricious, the self-righteous are in that danger. We have to remember that when we let our pride in our life get in the way, we forget to turn to God. Don't let that happen. The revolutionary Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on when he speaks to Simon. Here's what he says, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house I mean, Jesus is now schooling Simon. He says, you see this woman? And I can just picture him pointing at the woman and almost like I want him to say to Simon, look at her. You see, Jesus was pointing out the total rudeness which Simon had shown him. Now in these days, hospitality was critical for a Jewish leader like this. When someone entered your home, the polite and courteous thing to do would be to offer them a kiss on both cheeks. And because they would remove their shoes and walk through the house, you would also then have a servant come to wash their feet. Jesus was pointing out to Simon that he had essentially rejected Jesus from the moment he came through the door. He says, you gave me no water to clean my feet. You offered me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oils. He's calling Simon out on this act of rejection. He then says, this woman has not stopped showing me love in ways beyond compare. Now, I'd imagine at this point, Simon's pretty embarrassed, but Jesus isn't done. In what probably bothered him more than all of this, this happens. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I mean, what a moment we get to see here. This moment where Jesus takes it upon himself to remove the shame and guilt from the life of this woman. He says, Your sins are forgiven. She had come to Jesus with a past, with pain, with debts owed to a moneylender with whom there was no way she could make the payments. And the real Jesus doesn't look at her and give her a list of rules or steps to take, but He literally tells her that her debt has been paid. I mean, the Pharisees were livid. How could Jesus forgive the sins of this woman? For that matter, I think they were probably thinking, how could He do it for anyone? Listen, we get a pretty bleak picture of the Pharisees. We often look at them as the enemy in the story, and sometimes that's true. But there's more to it. Listen, the Pharisees cared about the salvation of people. They wanted people, or at least Jewish people, to be saved. Everything they taught and pursued was in the pursuit of a life worthy of God's laws and standards. The only issue was that their message of salvation was not from God, but from people doing things the way the Pharisees taught and by following all the rules. They taught the idea that keeping the wrong company could impact your faith. So they rejected the unclean, the gentile, the outsider. You see, the Jesus of the rejects, He rejected their way to redemption. Instead, He was calling for a revolution of grace. A revolution that rejected that the only way to the Father was through the rules and practices of religion. Instead, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus, who said he was the only way to the Father, didn't worry about who he associated with in his life. Regularly, Jesus would be found eating with the rejected. People like lepers, who are not only socially outcast, but physically contagious and rejected by all people. He ate with Zacchaeus, a tax collector who was hated in the town, but whom Jesus chose to die with and as a result challenged the life of a social pariah. He dined with prostitutes, sinners, the poor. And why did He do this? Because there are no rejects in the grace of Jesus. response to suffering people and to nobodies provides a glimpse in the heart of God God is not the unmoved absolute but rather the loving one who draws near God looks on all of us in our weaknesses and he sees his sons or daughters and he wants them to know that he loves them and how do you know that he loves you he sent Jesus to earth to live among us and Jesus preached a gospel of grace and redemption for everyone. Not just the rule followers or the hyper-religious, but to all who would call upon him. He started a revolution that if we were to do today, we might picture with signs in the air or angry voices or fighting. But instead, he started a revolution of grace where all could come to the feet of Jesus with tears in their eyes, worship him, and be forgiven of their sins. He was calling for a revolution to the state of the Jewish religion. And Jesus' death was vicious and appropriate for the revolutionary that he was. I mean, it was obviously irreversible, but yet in his resurrection, he declared his civil disobedience and issued a call that a revolution was now underway against all other authorities on earth. Listen, sometimes religion and the church, we reject the people who are on the fringe of society because they don't fit into the narrative of this middle-class country club church. And they bring too much baggage and guilt for us to really connect to them. The real Jesus in the Bible says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Today, we need to remember that Jesus calls for us to lean on Him for forgiveness. If you're looking at your life and saying, God can't forgive my sins, I want to say to you that yes, He can. There are no rejects in the grace of Jesus. Receive the grace of God like a flood surrounding you and let it completely cover you. If you've not chosen to be baptized with water, make that decision today. Reach out to me. You can email me to get more information about being part of our next baptism conversation. If you have already made this decision, then I'm calling on you to remember your baptism day and ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit again and more fully. Remember that while you may not be in this place where guilt and shame surround you, we need to be a place for those people who need their debts covered. See, grace is yours. Let's not forget to share that with everyone else who needs to hear it.